Amen. Genesis 29. Is life fair? I have this saying written at home. Expecting life to be fair is like expecting the bull not to charge you because you're a vegetarian. It doesn't care. Life just is not fair. So we're in a very, we'll see, unfair story. There are things that happen that all of us would say, that's just not fair. But life isn't fair. So Jacob, in this chapter, he's been kicked out of his dad's house. He's on the move. He's headed somewhere that he does not know about. And what he's going to find is he has to trust God. And God's fingerprints are going to be all over this chapter. Whether Jacob acknowledges it is a different story, but man, we can sure see it. So let's jump in. Verse one. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with his sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. I call this first little section of Genesis 29. Jacob finds his heart. He's like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz. He's looking for his heart. He finds it here. And here's what verse one says, and you can't see it in English, but it says, Jacob went on his journey. Literally in the Hebrew, it's he had light feet. Jacob has a spring in his step. Or literally, Jacob has happy feet. Now, why? Remember chapter 28? What happened there? Jacob has the worst thing ever. He is a scoundrel. He lies and deceives his dad, who's old, blind, and almost deaf. Lies and deceives him. Steals from his twin brother. The only thing that his twin brother seemed to kind of care about, right? Steals the blessing. And because of that, his older brother wants to kill him. It's his twin brother, just slightly older. And his dad is saying, get out of the house. And so he's been kicked out of his home for being a scoundrel. He leaves with nothing. Now, was Isaac wealthy? 
super wealthy. He'd probably be a billionaire today. And yet he doesn't give one of his two sons, he's only got two, he doesn't give one of his two sons anything just as you're gone, go. Wow. So there he is, all by himself, in a desolate land, not knowing what to do. It's nighttime. It says he lays down, takes a stone for a pillow. His dad didn't even let him take one of the pillows. Has a stone for a pillow. And what happens that night? The heavens open and God comes. And God says, I will be with you and I will protect you and I will give you this land that you're looking at and I'm gonna give you a family and I'm gonna give you sons. And the promises that I gave to your great-grandfather your grandfather, Abraham, I'm going to give to you. What? Jacob wakes up and he says, I did not know God would be in this place. When I was so bad, when I was so nasty, when I was against, he shows up in the last place I would have expected him. I love that. That's what God always does. Have you ever been slammed by God's grace? Just like when you did not deserve it, like Jacob at the lowest point when you're despicable and then God blesses you and it changes your life. Like I grew up with this idea of God. I grew up that God was Santa Claus, that he was checking his list, checking it twice, trying to figure out who's been naughty and who's been nice. And I knew I'm on the naughty list. I deserve coal. And that's the way for the first 20 years of my life, I viewed God. And then all of a sudden, grace slams me and it transformed my life. What the law, what list, what that could never do, transformed my life. I quit a good job, went to the school of ministry. After the school of ministry, was a missionary in Vanuatu for a school term there. After school, of, after Vanuatu, Edgewater gets planted. I, and that all happened, not because of laws and lists. It all happened because all of a sudden, I was apprehended by God's grace. That's the power of grace. It's what Jacob is starting to learn. So people that struggle with them with this idea of grace and how it transforms us, I usually read for them Titus chapter two, a brilliant little verse. So in Titus 2.11, listen carefully to what it says about the power of God's grace. For the grace of God has appeared. What's appeared? The grace of God, bringing salvation for all people. How many? All people. Training us. What trains us? The grace of God. What does God's grace train us to do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Jacob had that seed planted in Genesis 28. It's gonna take some water and some time to get the scoundrel out of Jacob, but it begins right then. I did not know God was in this place. Deep heart transformation happens only by God's grace. It trains us. So Jacob shows up in this land, crosses the desert, and he shows up at a well. How often in the book of Genesis does the stories seem to revolve around wells? Why is that? Because without water in the desert, you die. That wells were number one. You were always searching for water and for wells. They were 
paramount to living, right? Today, it's not like that. Today, we go searching for Wi-Fi, right? I'll die if I don't have Wi-Fi. That's our search today. Back then, water or we're all dead. So this well is covered. Now, why would a well be covered? Could be to keep out garbage and dust, but I've seen lots of wells in third world countries that are not covered, most likely. It says shepherds, plural, were required to remove this giant stone. It sounds like a way to control the water. That one shepherd couldn't go there by himself, pull the stone out of the well, and then take all the water. It was a way that you had to have two or three shepherds around to remove the stone, and then you could know uh, everyone's getting an equal share of the water there. It's probably a way to control how much water. So Jacob shows up, has this conversation. Whoa, where am I? You're in Haran. Do you know Laban? They're like, yes. Notice how short they are with him. They're not like, oh, Laban, man, we love that guy. They're like, yeah, we know him. Wish we didn't, but yeah, we know him. (laughs) So we're beginning to see part of Jacob's personality because what does he say to these complete strangers after knowing them for about two minutes? I'll read it again for you, verse seven. He said, behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. What did he just say to these guys? Get back to work. Complete strangers in a completely strange land. And this guy is like, you guys need to get back to work. What are you doing? Like, Jacob, are you kidding? The audacity of him. I'm surprised they didn't throw him in the well. That's what I'm surprised about, okay? So what do they say? We don't do it that way, verse eight. That's not how we do things right now. We don't do it that way. I've learned in most situations that I'm not comfortable with to just watch and learn for a second, to keep my opinion to myself. But this is not Jacob. And we're gonna find out that Jacob and Laban, they deserve each other. They're a match made, not in heaven, somewhere else. So verse nine, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So good. Rachel, the name literally means you or like a lamb, a baby lamb. So here comes this Rachel, lamb, with a bunch of lambs, (laughs) and Jacob flips out. It'd be like a young man today seeing a very pretty hot girl driving a Ferrari. Like, woo, right? She's got lambs, she's got cash, and she is hot. So he freaks out. He goes Superman. He goes to this rock that normally it says shepherds, plural, would move. He moves it all by himself. He gets that like mom strength when a baby's pinned underneath their truck and she can just lift a truck. That's what happens to him right here. Just goes crazy. Grabs Rachel, kisses her. So now I'm like, man, for the first time, I'm starting to like Jacob. 
And then it says he wept loudly. Oh, back to the old guy. (laughs) He almost made it. Esau would have been proud of you, but not now. You blew it. This is the only time in the Bible where a man kisses a woman that's not his wife. And it would be, of all people, Jacob, right? You got to wonder, what's Rachel's first impression of this guy? Just rolls the stone away, Superman, grabs water, waters all of her lambs, grabs her, kisses her, and then starts weeping loudly. <laughs> like, what's her impression of this guy? And then he says to her, we're cousins. Kissing cousins. Like right here in the Bible, there they are. <sighs> what are we seeing? Jacob kicked out of his house, boneheaded, total make mistakes. He crosses the desert, no GPS, never been outside of his area before, never left the promised land before, right? He's got to cross the whole desert. He goes across, happens on this well, which is near Haran, near the place that he needs to be. And while he's there, there's these shepherds that are there as well. They know Laban. While he's talking with them, Rachel, this uh, cousin of his shows up at the same exact time, the daughter of the guy he's supposed to be talking to, right? This is amazing. Right when he's talking to the shepherds, telling them get, to get back to work, probably saved his life because they were going to throw him in the well. Like, what do you call all this? Coincidence? It's been said rightly so, coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. God's fingerprint is all over this. That's what you're seeing. You ever seen God's just fingerprint? We're supposed to declare it. We're supposed to fill in the anonymous. No, that was God. That was God. I remember one of the first trips I ever took where I was helping like ministry-wise back in 1997. Went to Bay of the Angels with this group of high schoolers. And we had two vans and two trailers. And Mike Wright was leading it, 26 high schoolers, four leaders, I was one of them. We're driving down there, we're about two, three hours south of Tijuana when the axle on one of the trailers just busts off. Like it's gone. Bearings, hub, axle, everything gone. And I'm like, oh no. Made in Illinois, like we're in the middle of Baja, headed to Bay of the Angels on the Sea of Cortez side. I'm like, we should just sell the trailer and get moving because we're not going to fix this thing. And they're all looking at me. You're an engineer, right? I said, I'm an engineer, right? I'm not a mechanic. Well, come on. I said, no, I draw pictures. That's what I do. I I use a computer, I draw pictures. That's what engineers do now, all right? So somehow it fell on me to fix it. So I'm like, okay. So we unhook the trailer, we get in this van, get all the kids on the side of the road and take off. And we just start stopping at every like junkyard, every place on the way. This guy tried to sell me an axle and I knew what it was. It was off a Mustang II because I owned one. And I was under that Mustang II way too many times. I'm like, I know that. So didn't work. We get back to like the outskirts of Tijuana. It's almost five o'clock and there's no luck. We start at some parts stores and this last parts store says, there's a boat shop down the way. Maybe they have something. So we pull into this boat shop like when the guy is rolling the gate shut. And I'm like, hey, hey, hey hey, we just had an axle problem. We've got, we had all the pieces right there. He goes, I said, can you help us? He said, man, I had a boat brought in this morning and it has an an extra hub assembly on the front of it. Let's go see, take a look at it. We go to this boat that just had showed up there this morning and it was an identical match. It's unbelievable. The biggest miracle was the guy could have charged us 500 bucks and we would have paid it. He charged us 50 bucks. That's God. We keep declaring the coincidences, they're God. 
That's God's hand. So what Jacob is realizing is the Bethel promises of I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna protect you and I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna give you a family. They're coming and they're happening. God's promises are happening. So verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, let's make a deal here. <laughs> Should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The younger was Rachel. The name of the older was Leah, Leah, Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. This is let's make a deal. 30 days and Jacob is head over heels in love. Guys, do you remember the first time you saw your, your now wife? Remember that? I can remember, and I grew up kind of knowing my wife, but she was four, years, four and a half years younger than me and the little sister of my good friend Clyde, so just ignored her. But I went to college and she went to LA and then uh, in 95, I moved back and she happened to be coming back like the next year. And I can remember when I saw her, when she got back. I was in this little dirt lane that's right by Annabelle Lane, right by Brian, her dad, now my father-in-law's house. And I was getting out of my Toyota pickup and she'd come from LA in this white Acura and she pulled behind me and she got out. And I remember thinking, oh, hot girl in a Ferrari. Let's make a deal. Brian, let's make a deal right now. Seven years, no problem, right? <laughs> That's what I remember saying. She's changed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's Jacob. He's like, let's make a deal. Now remember, Rachel's name is Lamb. That's what it means. You know what Leah means? Wild cow. <laughs> you, I just can't even believe it. Like what happened when she was born? What do we call her? Well, look at those eyes, wild cow. That's what we're calling her. They're bugging out like a wild cow. <laughs> Poor girl, right? And verse 17 says this, and it's a, a hard kind of thing to translate from the Hebrew. So it says she has weak eyes. And people will say they, that you read commentaries, and they're like, maybe, maybe she had blue eyes and because she's in the desert a lot, you know, blue eyes are more sensitive to light. And maybe that was, maybe that's why she's called blue eyed or weak-eyed. Well, if that was the comparison, when they talk about Rachel, it should have said, but Rachel had brown eyes and she had 20-20 vision and she was amazing. She could count the spots on a 
ladybug from 20 feet, right? It doesn't say that. What does it say about Rachel? She was beautiful in form and appearance. Leah, weak-eyed. Rachel, beautiful in form and appearance. What is the Bible saying about Leah? She's ugly. That's what the Bible is saying. Leah, ugly. Rachel, beautiful. Laban is going to work this situation. He realizes Jacob is type A. He's commanding shepherds he knew for two minutes to get back to work. I can use this guy. He is going to be a great foreman. So Jacob's offer, verse 18, is for seven years. Would you work seven years for your father-in-law to marry his daughter? Husbands, the right answer is yes right now because it's not gonna happen to you, right? It's already done. You just, absolutely. Okay, that's crazy. I, as the father of three daughters, think this is a wonderful idea. I would love that. Come work for me, please. The norm at this time was one to three years. So Jacob is just over the top in love. I'll do seven years. Let's go and okay. What is Laban's answer? I'll read it again for you. It's verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to anyone, uh, any other man. Stay with me. What's he saying? He's saying, well, you're, you're bipedal and you're upright and yeah. But he doesn't really say yes, does he? He's not, it's a deal. He's not, hey, let's shake on it. It's, hmm, we'll see. But Jacob has what we all have. We have this thing called confirmation bias. We hear what we want to hear. Laban's being really coy here because he's gonna do something. And he's gonna say, I never lied. I just never made a deal with you. He's being real coy. But Jacob hears exactly what he wants to hear. All of us do this. We all hear what we want to hear from people, even if they're not saying it quite right. And later on, they be like, I didn't actually say that. Oh, I thought you did. Yeah, well, you thought wrong. It's why the Bible says this over and over. There is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Right? Why did the Craigslist scam still work? Craigslist has been around for 23 years. Why do they still work? Because we all have confirmation bias. No, there's a great deal, man. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Why do the Nigerian scam still work to this day? I'm a rich Nigerian prince that, you know, I have billions of dollars. I'll give half of it to you. If you'll send me five grand. Why do they still work? Confirmation bias. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. He hears what he wants to hear, right? And we gotta be really careful, especially when it comes to people because we'll have confirmation bias about people. We'll make a, we'll typecast people. He's this, she's that. And then we'll only remember things that confirm the way we typecast that person. And we'll ignore any evidence that leads us in the other direction. As gospel people, we're never to do that. We're always to allow people to be changed and to become who Jesus wants them to become. Just like we're changing, right? I'm glad that I'm not still considered the 20-year-old moron that I was, that I've been able to, hey, change and be different. I'm, I don't want to be typecast that way. None of us do. So 
to be very careful of that. Jacob hears what he wants to, and so will we. Let's make sure that we're a gospel kind of people, getting counsel, letting people change, right? So here's what happens, verse 20. Seven years he serves to marry his wife. I do not believe in long engagement periods. That's a really, really long engagement period. But here's what Laban's gonna do to him. Keep Jacob busy. Keep him busy for seven years. Did you know this? In America, 150 years ago, 200 years ago, that there was these thing called engagement spoons. That when a young man started to court a, a, a woman, a girl, the dad would give him a chunk of wood, like a piece of firewood and say, carve me a spoon. Every time that that young man would be around his daughter, he would hand him that piece of wood and the young man would sit there and carve the whole time he was talking to the guy's daughter. Now, why would a man want a young man to be doing that? Yeah, busy hands, right? Keep your hands busy. And when he was done, he would hand the piece of wood to the dad and the dad would be like, you've been here an hour? Okay, you did enough. I love that idea. I want him to carve me a life-size Volkswagen bus. Get busy, yeah? <laughs> Stay busy. Stay busy. So Jacob, verse 21, said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. <laughs> Just away with words. <laughs> so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Oh man. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel for her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. I call this reaping what you sow. That's the way the world works. You reap what you sow. So verse 21 has been smoothed out in the English. The Hebrew is much more graphic. It is, I want to have sex with her right now. That's the graphic nature of what Jacob is saying right there. You know what that tells me? They waited. They waited. That's what it tells me. They waited until they got married. I do weddings, I think, I don't know, just under 100 now in the last 20 years. And I can tell, I think, when a couple has waited. You know how? 
the reception is, is, the reception is really, really short. The husband's like, let's go, man. No more pictures. Let's go. <laughs> That's how I can tell. <laughs> the Bible says love is patient. He waits seven years. That's a long, long time. Now, on the positive side, there should be a verse 21 in us for our wives, no doubt, right? There should be a physical attraction. That's a good thing that God's put in us. That's what brings you together, no doubt. It should be there. So sometimes I'll, I used to do a lot more of this, but I do premarital counseling. I'd have this couple and they'd be living together. And then the, the guy would tell me, yeah, I know we're living together, but we're not having sex. I'd be like, well, that's a huge problem. He's like, what do you mean? I said, how in the world, if you were gonna get married to this woman, how could you live in the same house with her and not have sex with her? I said, bro, you need to go to counseling. You need therapy, man. Something is broken in you, right? There's no way. There's no way. They waited. They waited, I love that. And verse 25 to me, as an analogy, I think is life in a capsule. You go to bed with Rachel, but you wake up with Leah, right? These things, seven years I've waited for this. If only I could have that. If only I got this job, if only I got this money, if I only got this house, if I only got this, right? You're Rachel, whatever it is. You got this Rachel in your head. Man, if I could just get Rachel. And you finally get it. In the morning, it's, it's Leah. It doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't make you happy. You thought it would. You worked hard for it. And when you finally get it, has anything ever met or exceeded your expectations? Has anything ever been able to satisfy that ache, that gnaw in your soul? Whatever your Rachel is, it can't. It won't. Scripture says God has put eternity into men's hearts. It's not big enough. There's nothing big enough. There's no Rachel beautiful enough. There's no money powerful enough. There's nothing. You think Rachel will do it, and it doesn't. And so Jacob gets mad, storms into Laban, and says, what have you done? He is hot. And what does Laban say? We have a custom in our country that the older doesn't get married before the younger. And Jacob goes from red hot, just raging to, okay, I'll work seven more years, right? Did you notice that? Why, what just happened to Jacob? We have a custom about older siblings and younger siblings. What just happened to Jacob? He was reminded of what he had done to his brother Esau. There's a custom. The blessing goes to the older and not to the younger. He's reminded, oh no, I did this to Esau. Part of me wonders if during the seven years, if Laban hadn't sent one of his servants over to talk to Esau, hey Esau, why is your younger brother with me? Why'd he end up over here? What happened? I think he did. I think he got the dirt on Jacob and was like, oh, really? Aha, I know what I can do. 
Because those that research this, there's no proof that this custom ever existed. I think Laban just made it up, knowing he had dirt on Jacob, knowing it. Now there are weird customs. If you've ever traveled, you know there's weird customs everywhere. This is the weirdest one I've personally encountered. So as a uh, Bible teacher over in Vanuatu, in Vanuatu, they have this drink. It's a very special drink. It's called kava. And the way that they make kava in Vanuatu is they have these boys, small boys, take the root of kava and they'll bite off a chunk of that root. They'll chew up that root until it's nice and mushy. And then they spit it into this bowl. And so there'll be like six or seven boys, you'll see them in these villages. They'll be just chomping on and all of them spitting together into this. And it's about 60, 70 ounces. And when that thing is full, they cover it for two weeks to marinate. All those bad breath germs just in there, just doing their work, right? Just, yeah. And so it's bubbling, it's frothy. It's just, yes, yummy. And then if there's a guest that shows up, then you have to drink kava with them. You drink kava with the chief. So here was the best deceit probably ever done with that. Dave Corson, who was the, he was the principal of the school that I worked at, been in Vanuatu a lot, spent a lot of time over there. His younger brother, Jimmy, came to visit him for the first time. And they go to this village and they show up at this village and Jimmy's kind of been prepped about kava. He kind of goes, okay, it's coming, all right, so. You know, and it's usually a, a small, like, eight ounces, that's what you usually drink. And so they're sitting down and they're waiting to drink kava with the chief and they're all sitting there. And out comes this boy with a big gulp of kava. And he's like, wow, that must be the chief's, woo. But the boy goes right by the chief. Well, that must be Dave's because he's the principal. Goes right by the principal, sets it right in front of Jimmy. He's like, what? So he leans over, he's like, Dave, dude, what's going on right here? Why, why this? He goes, well, Jimmy, I told the chief, hey, I've come here. We've drank kava together before, but my little brother's never drank kava. Let's give it all to him. And they did. And he said he just lifted it up and drank the whole thing in one drink. That's a brave missionary right there. Isn't that terrible? So it's possible. There's some crazy little custom like this, but I don't think so. I do not think so. And Dave will reap what he sowed one day. It's gonna come back for him. I know that much. So Jacob gets mad. He's ticked. And I think he's so mad. He's so mad at Laban because Laban is a mirror of his own sin. Do you know that we get the most mad when we see our own sins in someone else? That's when we get really mad. And that happens to Jacob. The deceiver gets deceived. Galatians 6, 7 says this, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the Spirit, life everlasting. If you sow to the flesh, destruction. Jacob is learning God's way. And that's why he just puts his head down and says, okay, seven more years. I deserve this. Verse 31, when Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, does God see things? 
Does God know that life is unfair? God saw. God saw the situation. God saw what a dad was doing to a daughter, what a husband was doing to a wife. God saw. He opened her womb. What was the number one thing 4,000 years ago for, for ladies? Produce boys. That was the number one thing. What is God going to give to Leah? But Rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because Yahweh has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise Yahweh. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Now you might, listening to this story, feel a little mad. Because there's stuff in here that is like, that's unfair. Forcing people to get married. I can't believe that. I can't believe in Bible times, in the Bible, there was forcing women to get married. Arranged marriages. How old, how antiquated, you know, this is so wrong. I'm so glad that we live in a society where you can marry anyone you want. Is that true? No. You can marry anyone you can attract. So you better be on your game 24-7, 365 for decades. I'll guarantee you this, Rachel and Leah didn't have eating disorders because of the pressure that's now put on young ladies today. So we can look back and be like, well, how was that? We'll look at our own situation. I don't know if it's better. It's different, but I don't know if it's better. So be careful with judgment. Well, what about... What about She's ugly. She gets used by her dad and hated by her husband. What about that? I'm so glad in the 21st century with liberated women, they're no longer judged on how they look. I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad Instagram doesn't judge you based on how you look. I'm so glad movie stars, it doesn't matter how you look. I'm so glad. Are you kidding me? The Bible's just honest. This is reality. The Bible's honest. But I'll tell you what I love. God sees. God sees, right? That's what I love. So here's, what, here's the good news in conclusion. Number one, God made a promise in chapter 28 in Bethel to protect, to give land, to give kids. And he's keeping that promise, but guess what? It's not easy. We can have happy feet, because of God's promises, but that doesn't change the hard road. Jacob had happy feet, but it was still a hard road. 21 years of service, right? To a pretty hard guy named Laban. And I say this all the time and I'll repeat it time and time again. I follow Jesus, 
Not because it's easy. Not because it's cool. Not because it's gonna make my dreams come true. Not because it's gonna make me money. I follow Jesus because he alone is the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father but by him, period. And when you keep that in your head, when the road, get hard, road gets hard, when the road gets hard, you keep walking, right? God will keep his promises. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy though. Number two, Jacob's schemings keep failing. I'm gonna marry, marry Rachel. No, you're not, you're gonna marry Leah first. I'm gonna have kids with Rachel. No, you're not, Leah's gonna have the kids. Here's what Jacob is learning. Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Jacob's gonna, it's gonna take him years to learn this. He keeps scheming, he keeps trying, he's trying to his own route instead of saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna rest in your promises. Bethel, chapter 28, I'm gonna trust. He keeps scheming, keeps scheming, keeps scheming, keeps scheming. One of the prayers I pray almost every morning is this. This morning, God, in Psalm 90, establish the works of my hand. I don't wanna work in vain. I don't wanna do things that are wrong. I, I know how easy it is to get. Today, establish the works of my hands. What I do, may it be eternal, may it be lasting. And here's what I love the best. Leah wins, doesn't she? You look at all the characters in this, Laban's not too good. Uh, Jacob is just Jacob. Who, who wins in this story? Leah, she wins. The overlooking, overlooked, wild cow, weak-eyed, ugly Leah, she wins. And each one of the sons that she has, she names them something, and each name is what a woman wants, what a wife wants, right? The first son is called love. Now my husband will love me. The Bible says, Ephesians 5.26, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church. One of the biggest needs is that right there. The second son, she names him, listens, right? I've got another son because God listened to me. What's the second thing a wife wants from her husband? Listen to me. I don't know how many times I've quoted this and I have to quote it to myself. James 1.19, as a husband, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to wrath. Listen to my wife. Sometimes I got to quote it to myself when I'm going home because I'm just overwhelmed, right? Listen, listen. And I always tell husbands, it's real simple. If your wife's mouth is moving, yours is not. And when she's done talking, here's what you do. You say this, honey, here's what I think you said. And you repeat what you believe she just said. Because then it gives her a chance to say, I did not say that. This is what I said. <laughs> you listen. And then the third son's name is linked or attached. Because you know what a wife wants? A wife wants to feel like her husband and her are on one team. They're attached to each other. They're on one mission. They're moving together. The Hebrew uses this word. It's often translated love. It's called dode. It literally means the intermingling of souls. That's what a wife wants. Our souls are intermingled. We're attached to each other. We have the same mission. We have the same, we can finish each other's sentences because we're attached to each other, right? But poor Leah, 
She's 0 for 3. She gets none of these. But she has a fourth child. What does she name the fourth child? Praise. And she conceived again, verse 35, and bore a son and said, this time I will praise Yahweh. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise. Then she ceased from bearing. I love that. I can't force my husband to love me. I can't force him to listen to me. I can't force him to be linked or attached to me. I can't do those things, but you know what I can do? Praise God. And Leah is set free. She ceased bearing. She, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing I'm not laboring anymore. And she praises Yahweh. Her cup runs over. She gets it. She wins right here. And praise in the Bible, we, we have made it just singing songs. That's not what praise is. Praise is so much more than that. Praise is finding your sufficiency in Christ alone. Your hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. She looked and tried, man, I just gotta make Jacob love me. If Jacob will only love me, if he'll link to me, if he'll listen to me. And then finally she just says, that's not gonna do it. And she's changed. My identity is not a mother of four boys. My identity is not the wife of Jacob. My identity is not in all these things. My identity is I'm a bought child of King Jesus. That's praise. That's when your cup runs over. That's called the breastplate of righteousness. That protects you. You can't be injured then. No one can take that from you. It's always there. To know, ever know Jesus is to always know Jesus. Right, Jesus calls to us over and over and says, all who are weary and heavy laden, I've tried, I'm 0 for 3. Come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. Soul rest. Leah wins. The one that was overlooked by dad and husband, God saw. What a brilliant story. Trust him. He sees. Jesus today. Each one of us in an area of life can feel like Aaliyah, overlooked at our job, overlooked in a marriage, overlooked in a relationship, overlooked by parents, overlooked by this world, forgotten. We can feel like Leah. And we can strive. Oh, this will do it or that'll do it. May we know that you hear, that you know, that you see. And may we be a people that praise you especially when we're 0 for 3. May we praise you, knowing that you are the only one that can satisfy and fill hearts and cease the restlessness in us because you are good and you always do what's good. May we have the eyes to see it today, this week, this month, this year. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.